I have found the key Honey darling, you believe Lonesome roads we've seen Well honey darling, keep your eyes wide and see That we can join our hands And take for hours all of this land Honey darling, you understand if it's hill in your heart, I can. Hello, listeners. Hello. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And this is From Below Podcast. No, it is not. What is it? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. This is Armchair Apocrypha, the show where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Mm -hmm. um, I have had a long week. I cannot only imagine. It has been so long. I, You're so fucking close. I'm so fucking close to Friday. So <laughs> literally tomorrow and then you're going to indiana this weekend yeah so i i work a little bit on saturday morning and yeah. then i'm going to come back shower hopefully already be packed and then just go to indianapolis for someone's 30th birthday party yeah have a great time spend the night there and then actually one of my former baristas works in anderson which isn't too far away yeah and i'm gonna try and meet up with her for lunch and then come back that'd be nice yeah nice um and then enjoy my sunday off <laughs> Are you prepared for the uh, the drive up to Indy where there is nothing for several hundred miles? Um, excuse me, there's plenty of soybeans and cornfields. <laughs> yes, I did that road, unfortunately, many times. Yeah. Many, many times. Uh, but what are, do you have any plans this weekend? I am going to relax after doing all of these files for students this week. Oh, cheers to that. We, uh, we have Code Louisville. Mm -hmm. um, JCTC just took over the grants. Uh it used to be an independent uh, government grant-funded program, and then the grant ran out, and then JCTC took it over, and they just folded it into the college system. Mm -hmm. So now they're college students, which means that they don't have full funding anymore. Mm -hmm. So I've had so many students in such a short amount of time, and then I've got 16 more tomorrow. So I'm going oh to... Gosh. yeah. <laughs> Are you? But you get to go in early and leave early tomorrow. Right? Yeah, I go in at uh, eight thirty tomorrow, and then I leave at four thirty. Good, as you should. Yes. I think I work four thirty to two thirty tomorrow. Yeah. And then I'm well. Then I have to be back in the morning, but we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> you want to get into the today's episode? Yeah, let's stop talking about our coming <laughs> week. Let's go. Um, have you ever heard of Francesca Mann? I don't think so. Francesca Mann was a young dancer residing in Warsaw before the Second World War. I feel like I should know her then. Mm -hmm. uh, she studied dance in the dance school of Irina Prusheka. Prusheka? Prusheka, I think. Okay. Uh, her friends at that time included Weira Gran and Stefania Grodzienski. Uh, in 1939, she was placed fourth during the International Dance Competition in Brussels among 125 other young ballet dancers. She was considered one of the most beautiful and promising dancers of her generation in Poland, both in classical and moder uh, modern repertoire. Uh, 
At the beginning of the Second World War, she was a performer at the Melody Palace nightclub in Warsaw. She was a prisoner in the Warsaw Ghetto. In several publications, she is mentioned as a German collaborator, and her name is often associated with the Hotel Polsky affair. Okay. Um, in Philip Mueller's eyewitness account, Eyewitness Auschwitz, uh, as well as the, in the account of Jersey Tabot, a former Birkenau prisoner, um, she is reported as having killed two SS officers and attempting to start a rebellion in the Auschwitz-Birkenau camp. Um, on October 23, 1943, a transport of around 1,700 Polish Jews arrived on passenger trains at the death camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau. Although they had been told that they were being taken to a transfer camp called Burgau near Dresden, from where they would continue on to Switzerland to be exchanged for German prisoners of war. One of the passengers was Francesca Mann. She had probably obtained her foreign passport from the Hotel Polski on the Aryan side. In July 1943, the Germans arrested the 600 Jewish inhabitants of the hotel, and some of them were sent to Bergen-Bolsen as exchange Jews. Uh, the rest were all sent to Vittel in France to wait transfer to South America. According to some versions of the story, the new arrivals were not registered, but were told that they had to be disinfected before crossing the border into Switzerland. They were taken into the undressing room next to the gas chambers in order to undress. Other versions of the story mention the events that follow taking place at either the selection ramp or at the labor area of the camp. Regardless of the location, what is confirmed is that she fatally wounded a roll call officer, Joseph Schillinger, using a pistol, many mm. accounts say his own, and fired two shots, wounding him in the stomach. Good. She then fired a third shot, which wounded another SS sergeant named Emmerich. According to Tabell, the shots served as a signal for the other women to attack the SS men. One SS man had his nose torn off, and another was scalped. Uh, accounts vary about the details of it. Uh, in Schillinger and Emmerich, uh, in some that Schillinger and Emmerich are the only casualties, while in others the women revolted. Uh, reinforcements were summoned, and the camp commander Rudolf Haas came with other SS men carrying machine guns and grenades. According to Philip Mueller, all people not yet inside the gas chamber were mowed down by machine guns. Others mentioned outcomes are other mentioned outcomes are the Jewish women being herded into the gas chamber, taken outside and executed, or Francesca taking her own life with the stolen pistol. Due to the conflicting accounts, hashtag armchair apocrypha, <laughs> it is unclear what happened next. The only things that are certain are on that day Schillinger died, Emmerich was wounded, and all of the Jewish women were killed. short and sweet can you uh in on a positive note please i can never do that it's not in my repertoire <laughs> it's not fun <laughs> maybe for april fools next year uh -huh. on like what cinderella's story type of deal maybe. and then they all lived happily ever <laughs> after um okay well good because mine is probably gonna be a bit long okay but it might not be depending on how fast i talk so you talk about world war Two. i'm gonna talk about world war one okay so what I'm going to do, going scenario, back in time, yeah, is I'm going to give a very brief synopsis on World War One because there's so much to divulge, okay. and then just really go into like six cool hero stories that I got from history.com about it, and then we're going to go into some fun facts that I'd like to bring back when I can about World War One that people may not be right. aware of or just fun, not fun, interesting statistical numbers. Okay. So World War One, which I still find it ironic, but. It, in retrospect, 
when they called it the war to end all wars, it's yeah. the first time the entire war- world came together for yeah. one uh, war. Or yeah, one WWI. War. Everyone thought that would be the only one. Yeah. Uh, how wrong were they? <laughs> so World War One. This is like just basic terminology. Mostly, I got this from History. dot com. Yeah. Because it's a great website and it used to be a great channel, and then they changed everything to Alien Stories, and then it got downhill from there. But because anyways, it got uh, privately funded. That's another topic for another day yeah. i'm still pissed about it not that we've well well the same thing happened to the learning channel mm-hmm. the learning channel is completely different yeah. about learning now it's all like home shows yep home shows um i don't actually even know what else is on reality tv oh, reality tv yeah anyways profiles of famous actors yeah yeah mm-hmm. so world war one began in 1914 after the assassination of archduke franz ferdinand mm-hmm. and lasted until 1918 during the conflict, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire, quote-unquote, the Central Powers fought against the Great British, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Japan, and then eventually the United States, quote-unquote, the Allied Powers. Yeah. So, thanks to new military technologies at that time and the horrors of trench warfare, World War I saw unprecedented levels of carnage and destruction. Which is probably also what they call it, the war to end all wars. Like, yeah. why would we ever do this again? By the time the war was over and the Allied powers claimed victory, more than 16 million people, soldiers and civilians alike, were dead. We are so dumb. Yeah. As a species. Yes. Tensions had been brewing throughout Europe, especially in the troubled Balkan region of Southeast Europe, yeah. for years before World War One actually broke out. A number of alliances involving European powers, the Ottoman Empire, Russia, and the other parties had existed for years, but political instability in the Balkans particular Bosnia and Serbia and Herzegovina threatened to destroy these agreements. And that's why we use the phrase balkanize. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. Um, the spark that ignited World War I was struck in Sarajevo, Bosnia, where Archduke Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was shot to death along with his wife, Sophie, by the Serbian nationalist <coughs> Gavrilo Princip on June 28th, um, 1914. So Princip and other nationalists were struggling to end the Austro-Hungarian rule over Bosnia and Herzegovina. Right. Um, so there are really, really good just documentaries and other podcasts that talk about how Franz Ferdinand, Franz Ferdinand was assassinated and how the people who tried it actually failed and then the guy just happened to walk around the yeah. corner eating a sandwich... <laughs> And actually ended up, was able to kill him. So it yeah. was this big clusterfuck that actually worked out in the end for the people who wanted to kill yeah. him. Yeah. They failed so, like three times. And then so, I mean, it's not just funny, by coincidence. but just by coincidence, he finally was assassinated <clears throat> because Franz Ferdinand happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And yep. he happened to be at the right place at the right time eating a sandwich. Um, so the assassination of Franz Ferdinand sent off a rapidly escalating chain of events. Austria-Hungary... Like many in countries around the world, blamed the Serbian government for the attack and hoped to use the incident as justification, like all countries do, for settling the question of Serbian nationalism once and for all. Convinced that Austria-Hungary was ready for war, the Serbian government ordered the Serbian army to mobilize and appeal to Russia for assistance. Mm-hmm. So on July 28th, which I guess would be almost exactly a month after the assassination, Austria-Hungary Hungary, declared war on Serbia and the tenuous peace between Europe's great powers quickly collapsed. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Within a week, Russia, Belgium, France, Great Britain, Serbia, 
and Serbia, excuse me, had lined up against Austria-Hungary and Germany, and World War One had begun. So from 19, so I'm only going to give you snippets of like certain things happening with, from certain countries. Okay. So of course I got to talk about um, <laughs> my Russians. So from 1914 and 1960, Russia, Russia's army mounted several offenses on World War One's eastern front, but was unable to break through German lines. Defeat on the battlefield combined with economic instability and a s- scarcity of food and other essentials led to mounting discontent among the bulk of Russia's population, especially the poverty, poverty-stricken workers and peasants. I'm glad we don't use the word peasants anymore. Peasants? Just so wrong. People still use it, oh, just I ironically. I do it, yeah, I do it funny. Yeah. Funnily. I do it ironically, yeah. yes. The increased hostility was directed <clears throat> towards the imperial regime of our great uh, czar, Nicholas II, and his unpopular German-born wife, Alexandria. Are those the ones in the documentary, the last czars? Yeah, they're the yeah. last czars that were all killed. Horribly. Did you hear they're not making a season two? Of what? The I'm, last stars. Well, that's fine. Because they all died in the first they, oh, season. Shut up. <laughs> They're all dead. I don't know. They'll, they'll do a spinoff where <laughs> Anastasia's really alive. Hashtag she's not. She's not. Sorry. She's Sorry, Disney fans. Yeah. Um, oops. Keep scrolling down. Oops. Okay. So... Russia's simmering instability exploded, and their own Russian Revolution of 1917, spearheaded by none other than Vladimir Lenin and the Bolsheviks, which ended Tsar rule and brought a halt to Russian participation in World War I, because they had their own shit to deal with at that time. Yeah. Um, so dear, like during the outbreak... Of fighting in 1914, the United States remained on the sidelines of World War One, adopting the policy of neutrality favored by President Woodrow Wilson while continuing to engage in commerce and shipping with European countries on both sides of the conflict. Also, we were like a whole like ocean away, so it was easier for us to like turn a blind eye and be like, "Well, it has nothing to do with us." Right. Um, Neutrality, however, was increasing diffi- increasingly difficult to maintain in the face of Germans' unchecked submarine aggression against neutral ships, including those carrying passengers. So in 1915, Germany declared the waters surrounding the British Isles to be a war zone, and German U-boats sunk several commercial and passenger vessels, including some U.S. ships. Oh, shit. So widespread protests over the sinking by U-boat of, British, of the British Ocean liner Lusitania... Lis- traveling from New York to Liverpool, England, with hundreds of American passengers on board in May 1915, helped turn the tide of American public opinion against Germany. The Lusitania? Hmm? Lusitania? Yeah, Yeah. that's what I meant to say. In February of 1917, Congress passed a $250 million arms appropriations bill intended to make the United States ready for war. So Germany sunk... Four more U.S. merchant ships the following month, and on April 2nd, Woodrow Wilson appeared before Congress and called for a declaration of war against Germany. So by the fall of 1918, now I'm skipping forward a little bit, the Central Powers were unraveling on all fronts. Despite the Turkish victory at Gallipoli, later defeats by invading forces and an Arab revolt had combined to destroy the Ottoman economy and devastate its land, and the Turks signed a treaty with the Allies in late of October 1918. This is me wrapping it up really fast. I'm sorry. You're fine. Um, So Austria-Hungary dissolved from within due to growing nationalist movements among its diverse population, reached an armistice on November 4th, 
facing dwindling resources on the battlefield, discontent in the home front, and the surrender of its allies, Germany was finally forced to seek an armistice on November 11th, 1918, finally ending World War One. I'm not going into the treaty because it's not that, I mean, it's important, but it's not important to this. It's not, it's dry. It's dry, yeah. yeah. So, war lasted four years, many nations involved, many people died. Lots of people dead. Lots of people dead. So I'm going to talk about six people that you probably didn't hear about. Okay. Also because it's World War One, and it's a long time ago, and people don't really remember. Okay, tell me about these six people. So Alvin York. Alvin York. Which I have heard of before. He was once described as World War One's greatest civilian soldier, yet he began the conflict as a conscientious objector. Conscientious objector. A deeply devout man from a small mountain town of Paul Mall, Tennessee. <laughs> York initially resisted serving on the grounds that violence was against his religion. I think that I learned about him in civics class. He yeah, was a sniper. He's really familiar. I yeah. guess. Um, his request was denied, however, and in May 1918, he arrived in France along with the 82nd Division of the U.S. Army. Um, York would make his name on October 8, 1918, in a famous incident during the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. He and around 17 other Americans had just captured troops from a German regiment when they found themselves under heavy fire from enemy machine guns. Nine of the Americans were quickly wounded or killed, but York, a crack shot from his days as a turkey hunter, yep. escaped unscathed and began picking off the German gunners with his rifle. When six of the enemy tried to charge York with bayonets, he drew his forty-five pistol and shot them all. He had soon forced the remaining Germans to surrender and later claimed even more prisoners on his way back to the American lines. Wow. All told, York and his men captured 132 enemy soldiers, and he may have single-handedly killed around 20 German troops. For his efforts, he was awarded the Medal of Honor, the Distinguished Service Cross, and several other citations for bravery. Shunning the spotlight, the reluctant soldier returned to his home in Tennessee after the war and took up farming. He later worked to introduce new schools into his mountain community, which I fucking love. Fun fact, that was the original ending for Thanos in the uh, Avengers comics. Shut up. He once he finished his goal, he went to he went home, Be a became a farmer. Thanos is awful. <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about being Thanos for Halloween. You should, yeah. Please do with the rings. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. You can't do it without the you gauntlet. You need to. You need the gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah. Next we have is Frank Luke. Two first names. Renegade pilot Frank Luke was America's greatest balloon buster, which I just love that name. Balloon buster. The nickname assigned to the brash aviators who attacked German observation balloons used to sight artillery. Luke joined the 27th Aero Squadron in France in July of 1918 and wasted little time in aggravating his fellow pilots with his cocky attitude and reckless <laughs> flying style He's a with his boy. balloon. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Arizona-born aviator proved an expert at downing um, the balloons, dangerous targets that were often guarded by anti-aircraft guns, cannons, and enemy fire. He scored his first kill on September 12th, and by September 28th, he had claimed 15 victories, including one day in which he shot down two balloons and three enemy planes. Despite his obvious skill, the headstrong Luke often flouted military regulations and disobeyed orders. His commanding officer tried to ground him, but Luke ignored the command and took off on a daring solo balloon-busting mission near Marval, France. He, he proceeded to destroy three balloons in quick succession, but was seriously wounded by machine gun fire and forced to ditch his plane near a creek. Mm -hmm. After climbing from the wreckage, Luke drew his pistol and may have exchanged a few shots with the German troops before succumbing to his injuries. 
By then, the 21-year-old had claimed a remarkable 18 aerial victories in the span of only 18 days. Wow. He later became the first ever pilot to receive the Medal of Honor. It sounds like he deserved it. Yeah. Next, we have Henry Johnson. Henry Johnson was the most famous member of the Harlem Hellfighters, an all-black National Guard unit that was among the first American forces to arrive in Europe during World War I. Uh, Johnson and his fellow African-American soldiers spent the early days in the war performing unskilled manual labor before being sent to reinforce the depleted ranks of the French army. I have bad news and I have good news. What? Uh, Balloon Busters has been, uh, uh, there's a band already using that name. Uh, It appears to be a German indie pop band, so I don't know if they would go after you for... um, for uh, trademark infringement or not, yeah, uh, but Harlem Hellfighters is available if you need oh, a band good. name. Harlem Hellfighters. That's such a great name. I love alliteration. So yeah. So on May fourteenth, nineteen eighteen, Johnson and another Hellfighter named Needham Roberts were serving duty at the Argonne Force. Just after two a.m., the duo was attacked by a detachment of some twenty German troops. Both men had soon been wounded, Robert so severely that he was unable to stand or shoot, but Johnson held fast and fought back with hand grenades and his rifle. Hmm. Despite being shot several fucking times, he returned fire until his weapon jammed and then used it as a club and fought hand-to-hand until it broke into pieces. When Johnson saw that the Germans were trying to take Robert prisoner, Robert's prisoner, he drew his one remaining weapon, a bolo knife, and slashed and stabbed several men until the raiding party finally fell back. When the dust cleared, Johnson had inflicted at least a dozen casualties on the Germans and suffered 21 wounds from gunfires and bayonets. 21. Both he and Roberts were later given the Croix de Guerre, one of France's highest military honors, but Johnson's heroic stand went unrewarded in the United States, fuck, until 1996 when he was posthumously uh, awarded the Purple Heart, and he later received the Distinguished Service Cross in 2003. Next, we have Charles Whitlesley. 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 That's a terrible name. That's a hard last name. An attorney by trade. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor, he can't talk his way out of this one. He was a lawyer named Whitless. Yes. That's terrible. Major Charles Whitlesley, I'm going to call him Charles, later made his name as the uncompromising commander of the so-called Lost Battalion, an American unit that became stuck behind German lines. Mm-hmm. On October 2nd, 1918, the bookish and bespectacled Charles led his men into hostile territory as part of a coordinated offensive in the Argonne Forest. But due to poor communication, his unit crossed the rough terrain too swiftly and was soon cut off and enveloped by German forces. Charles' nearly 600-strong force dug in and established a makeshift defensive line. Yeah. Despite being low on food, water, and ammunition, they spent the next five days dodging sniper fire and repelling wave after wave of German attacks. At one point, their own troops began accidentally shelling their position, but Charles launched a carrier pigeon and managed to stop the the barrage of friendly fire. The Americans were later offered a chance to surrender, but Charles held his ground and fought on against increasingly grim odds. Allied reinforcements finally arrived and forced the enemy uh, to retreat on October 8th. By then, only 194 of the Americans were still standing. Among them, Charles, who was later awarded the Medal of Honor for his extreme bravery bravery and coolness under fire. Um, Sadly, which we'll get to later, too, 
Charles remained haunted by the war for the rest of his life and committed suicide in 1921 by throwing himself off a ship as it sailed towards Cuba. That's really sad. Yeah. We should probably put a a content warning on this episode. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Because I have a little more into that later. Okay. Into our, uh, like, facts about World War I. So number five is Edward Isaac. All these people have, like, two first names. Uh, Navy officer Edward Isaac's remarkable odyssey, I love that, began on May 31st, 1918, when a German submarine torpedoed his ship, the USS President Lincoln, (laughs) as it sailed near the coast of France. Most of the crew managed to escape, but Isaac was captured and taken aboard the U-boat for the journey back to Germany. Unbeknownst to his captors, Isaac was the son of German-speaking immigrants, and he used his knowledge of the language to collect vital information on German submarine operations. Determined to get this intelligence to the Allies, Isaac later made several failed escape attempts, including one diving out of the window of a moving train. Wow. He finally pulled off a successful jailbreak in October of 1918 when he scaled the barbed wire fence of his prison camp, stopping along the way to draw fire from the guards to allow other prisoners to flee. Isaac spent, spent the next several days sneaking through a hostile hostile territory and living off the land before swimming the Rhine River into safety into the safety of neutral Switzerland. Though his information ultimately proved of little use <laughs> so late in the war, he was awarded the Medal of Honor in 1920 and went on to serve several years in Congress. Hmm. At the time of his death in 1990, he was the last surviving Medal of Honor recipient from World War I. Okay, then. And last but not least is Dan Daly. Marine Sergeant Dan Daly entered World War I as one of the United States' most famous Marines, having already won the Medal of Honor on two separate occasions for his service during the Boxer Rebellion mm-hmm. and the U.S. occupation of Haiti. Okay. The 44-year-old continued to write his name into the history books during June 1918's Battle of Belleau Wood, Bellevue, Bellevue, not Bellevue, Bellevue Wood, a month-long offensive that was one of the first major World War II battles fought by the U.S. troops. Nice. On June 5th, uh, Dan bravely extinguished a fire on the verge of igniting a, an a, explosive ammunition. That's all it says. <laughs> two days later, two days later, Jesus, as his Marines were being shredded by enemy machine gun fire, Dan urged them to leave their cover and counterattack by supposedly screaming the famous words, "Come on, you sons of bitches! Do you want to live forever?" Dan's near suicidal courage was put on display once again on June 10th when he single-handedly charged a German machine gun nest, killing its commander and taking 14 prisoners. <laughs> that same day, he made several trips into no man's land, no man's land, to drag wounded troops to safety, hmm. which is fucking astonishing. Dan was wounded later that month during a second solo rescue mission and suffered two more injuries during the during October of 1918. Yeah. While he was again recommended for the Medal of Honor for his actions, the military balked at the prospect of any soldier receiving the award three times, and he was instead given the Distinguished Service Cross and the French Medal. Um, someone else would later describe him as the, the fightingest Marine I've ever known. Fightingest? That's what it says. Okay, so now here on to some facts about Okay. World War One. Fun facts. I don't know if you call them fun. Okay. So nearly two-thirds of military deaths in World War One were in battle. So in previous conflicts, most of the deaths were due to actual disease. Yeah. Um, during World War One, 
Dogs were used as messengers and carried orders to the front lines and capsules attached to their bodies. Dogs were also used to lay down telegraph wires. In early 1917, British cryptographers deciphered a telegram from German Foreign Secretary Arthur Zimmerman to Germany's minister in Mexico. The telegraph encouraged Mexico to invade the U.S. territory. The British kept a, a secret from the U.S. for more than a month. They wanted, to, well, they wanted to show it to the U.S. at the right time to help draw U.S. into the war on their side. Okay. Woodrow Wilson's campaign slogan for his second term was, He kept us out of war. About a month after he took office, the United States declared war on Germany, April 6, 1917. That's what you get for trusting a politician. Yeah. World War One. I, I didn't look up the other five, but World War One is the sixth deadliest conflict in world, world history. Okay. So, because of this war, four empires collapsed. The Ottoman, the Austro-Hungarian, the German, and the Russian. I imagine that the Roman conquest and Attila the Hun are probably two. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Attila's got to be number one. After World War One, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland emerge as independent nations, though. So six fell, four, four emerged? Four fell, one, two, three, four, five emerged. Five emerged. Approximately 30 different poisonous gases were used during World War One. Soldiers were told to hold a urine-soaked cloth over their faces in an emergency, and by 1918, gas masks were filtered with filter respirators, usually provided effective protection. At the end of the war, many countries signed treaties outlawing chemical weapons. <laughs> we never that was used, my maniacal laugh. We never used chemical weapons ever, ever again. again. Especially not on our own citizens. Ever again. Ever. Millions of, this is the other, uh, like, big one. Millions of soldiers suffered shell shock, which now I know what that means, or post-traumatic stress disorder due to the horrors of trench warfare. Shell-shocked men often had uncontrollable diarrhea, couldn't sleep, stopped speaking, whimpered for hours, and twitched uncontrollably. While some soldiers recovered, others suffered for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like, everyone is different. Edith Cavell was a British nurse who saved soldiers from all sides. Okay. When she helped 200 Allied soldiers escape from German-occupied Belgium, the Germans arrested her and she was executed by German by a German firing squad. Her death helped turn global opinion actually against Germany. Hmm. Um, the greatest single loss of life in the history of the British Army occurred during the Battle of Somme when the British suffered six, 60,000 Six followed by four zeros. Wow. Casualties in one day. More British men were killed in that one World War One battle than the U.S. lost from all of its armed forces and the National Guard combined. World War One transformed the United States into the largest military power in the world. And last but not least, the trench network of World War One stretched approximately twenty-five thousand miles from the English Channel to Switzerland. The area was known as the Western Front. British poet Siegfried Sassoon wrote, When all is done and said, the war is mainly a matter of holes and ditches. Yeah. And I wanted to end it on that. Okay, then. That was some good information. Yeah. So glad I was not alive during <laughs> World War One. One of my favorite uh, Deer Hunter albums, uh, Act Three, uh, Life and Death, takes place during World War One. It's really good. You should okay. listen to it. I will. Yeah. That's D-E-A-R, Hunter, not Deer Hunter. Oh, okay. 
All one word. Gotcha. They're two separate bands. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Because why would you make things easy on your listeners? Why wouldn't you? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, that was good information. I thought it was kind of a lengthy one, so I'm kind of <laughs> glad you're so short. We uh, we should probably go rescue Mercury from the uh, from the yard. Yeah, we should. Um, we're going to get out of here. Uh, if you want to find us online, our website is absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, we're on Facebook at Absinthe Activism Arts. We're on Twitter at Absinthe Act Art. I just put up a thread of all of the work that our artists have been doing uh, for the past couple of years. Go check that out. Um, we are on Patreon at Absinthe Activism Arts. I just made a coffee. Uh, so if you want to buy us a coffee, uh, we're there as Absinthe Activism Arts. Nice. Um, is there anything I'm missing? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, books. oh, uh, check out our website, absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. We've got both of my books. Uh, they're available as uh, uh, paperbacks or ebooks. Um, I've got some short stories up on the website. Katie has artwork up on the website. She is open for commissions if you like what she does. Um, our singer-songwriter Joshua Paul Brooks has been putting up a lot of new music. It's really good. Um, is that all? That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here. We'll see you next episode. Uh, we love you and take care. Mortar shells have deafened. My ears, but the ringing has lessened. The dreams I've dreamed, they've threatened. My sanity at your presence is a blessing. For you make me forget the times tragedy and I had met and the nights I'd awakened and sweat. Seems the years before you were my greatest debt. darling, look above. The moon fits the clouds like a glove. Honey darling, my love. Sometimes I fish the sky for what I'm thinking of. Cause my tongue stays tied in knots. This feeling inside, can I ride it to the top? My hands have closed the gates. Now we're inside, let's love and leave it up to fate. <laughs>